Today is August 26, 2020, and this is episode number 22 of Blur Laws and Life. With me, your host, Richard Bush. We have had another eventful week in the world, another unfortunate week in the United States of America with the shooting in the back by Kenosha, Wisconsin police of an African-American man, Jacob Blake. And I will be discussing that in a moment. Also on today's episode of Blurred Laws in Life, I will be discussing the lawsuit that has made national headlines, actually global headlines, the lawsuit filed by TikTok against President Trump seeking to have declared unconstitutional President Trump's executive order threatening TikTok with a shutdown of their business in the United States unless TikTok sells its assets, or should I say its parent company sells TikTok to a United States company. And President Trump has also demanded that a share of the proceeds from that sale be deposited with the U.S. Treasury. That entire executive order has been challenged on constitutional grounds. It's a very interesting case, very interesting allegations. Um, it'll be headline news for some time uh, going forward. And so I thought it would be appropriate to discuss that on Blurred Laws in Life. But before we get to the shooting of Mr. Blake, and I do think it's relevant for Blurred Laws in Life because there will be defenses made and it will end up being a judicial, obviously a, a criminal prosecution at some point in time, or civil, probably both, and therefore merits discussion on this program. I want to go back for a moment and talk about episode number 21 of Blurred Laws in Life for a moment and my interview with Matt Goss. In the last episode of Blurred Laws in Life, Matt Goss, a teen idol from the United Kingdom who has been a headliner in Las Vegas for the last 10 years, spoke candidly and openly about his rise to um, stardom in the UK in the late 80s and early 90s as part of the boy band Bros. And most poignantly and heart-wrenchingly, I'll say, in his words, the way he and his brother were betrayed by those closest to him with unfair contracts and shady dealings that left Matt and his brother Luke, despite selling 16 million records over the course of three albums, broke at the time bros disbanded in the early 90s. And what struck me about the interview was Matt saying that despite that heartache and despite that pain and despite that betrayal, he would not change a thing. Matt said that it taught him incredible lessons, 
that he's still here, that he's still a contender, that he's still trying to make great music, that he's been a headliner in Las Vegas. He's had incredible experiences. He detailed them all. And that he wouldn't change anything, despite the obvious pain that those financial issues would have caused him and did cause him at that time. And it was inspiring to me. Um, it made me actually think of my own life and the fact that, as I've said, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up that counts. And I felt that Matt's story should be an inspiration to everyone, particularly in these times of significant challenges with COVID-19, the coronavirus impacting uh, the economy with literally tens of millions of Americans out of work with challenges we all face on a daily basis impacting us and our family. And again, the lesson is that the sun always rises and you have to keep on fighting and have to keep on going, which is what Matt has done. And again, I thought of my own life. I've had many setbacks, many ups and downs, uh, some professional setbacks over the years and personal setbacks over the years. I don't think I ever mentioned this, but literally a year or so before we tried the blurred lines case that we won, I was nearly killed in a bike accident. I was riding my bike um, in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it was my fault, was going fast, thought I had a green light, had it just turned red car pulled in front of me and I hit the car going full speed and flew over the hood, landed on my head and was unconscious. And the doctor told me when I finally awoke at Vanderbilt emergency room the next day that I was lucky to be alive. And it was a miracle that I wasn't paralyzed from the neck down. And, but I walked out of there with broken ribs and torn groin and a bunch of other things, but I walked out and of course, the blurred Lions case happened. We won that, and and a lot of great things have happened after that, including blurred laws in life. But the point is that one must always keep moving forward and not let setbacks define who you are. I am reminded when listening to Matt's story and hearing about his courage in moving forward um, despite those problems, I was reminded of the poem by René Maria Rilke entitled, Go to the Limits of Your Longing, in which Rilke says, Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Many times when bad things happen to us, we feel like that is the end, that whatever has happened defines us and will prevent us from moving forward and having success. We tend to think at the moment, many times, that all is lost. But over the years, as I said, I've had many setbacks personal and professional, where at the time I felt that way. 
But now when these things happen to me, of course, I realized through experience that I got through them somehow, kept on moving, kept on going, and here I am. And when Matt said those words in the interview that we did of him, that he wouldn't change a thing, that he's still here, still making records, still a contender in his words, I certainly thought of Rilke's poem. I also thought, and I have this actually on my wall, a poem by Muhammad Ali, which is entitled, Impossible is Nothing. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Those are the words of the great Muhammad Ali. Nothing is impossible. If history has taught us anything, it's that. So when we have, when we are faced with odds that we think make success impossible, just know that all it is is a state of mind. And as I said, success comes as Matt Goss has proven, to those who just keep on fighting in the face of adversity. So I hope you enjoyed last week's episode of Blurred Laws in Life, episode number 21. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the very poignant interview of Matt Goss. Now, let's get on with episode number 22. I was hoping that an earlier episode of Blurred Laws in Life, in which we discussed the murder in Minnesota of George Floyd, would be the last time we had to address that type of issue on Blurred Laws in Life. But this past week, we have had yet another incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Police officers apparently fired seven bullets into the back of an unarmed African-American man by the name of Jacob Blake. And this, again, has set off protests throughout the United States. Just today, the NBA Milwaukee Bucks decided not to play their playoff game, which resulted in the canceling of all of the NBA basketball games for the day. News broke that each team in the NBA voted on whether to continue playing in the NBA bubble and the playoffs at all. Also, the Milwaukee Brewers refused to play, and there's a question about the Major League Baseball season now continuing. So, of course, my mind goes back to the butterfly effect and the result that this shooting will now have on future events. But one thing is very clear. 
there is a finding of the voice by professional athletes and others, their voice and their power by professional athletes and others to affect social change in a way that's, that is unprecedented and is necessary because this country during this pandemic certainly needs diversion and athletics provide that diversion and the athletes know their power that if they refuse to play, that's a powerful statement. They could have found this voice years and possibly decades ago, but they're finding it now and it will be very interesting to see how all of this plays out and how this affects the trials in the George Floyd case and in the Blake case as well. It will be interesting to see how all this plays out. But with the public outcry for justice growing on a daily basis, now with professional athletes refusing to play, with protests raging throughout the country, there is a counterbalance that one must take into account, which is the right of these defendants as outrageous and despicable as their conduct has been to have a full and fair and impartial trial separate and apart from the pressure that might result from thousands on courtroom steps with signs, with chanting, and with the pressure that brings on those involved in trying to reach a fair and impartial result in a given case. So we'll have to see how this plays out, what happens, and how these matters are resolved. But it makes for a very difficult situation in a lot of respects. But we will cover it, as we always do, on Blurred Laws and Life. If you recall when we first discussed the George Floyd murder, I said that it was indefensible to have a police officer spend eight and a half minutes on someone's neck while they repeated that they could not breathe, leading to his death. And I certainly still feel that same way. The reason why these events are relevant to this podcast, Blurred Laws in Life, is because there will be judicial proceedings that follow from these acts. The police officers who are being held responsible for George Floyd's murder will be put on criminal trial. These officers who shot Blake will most likely face a criminal trial, and there certainly will be civil trials that result from both these events in the future. As we know from the O.J. Simpson case many years ago, just because someone is acquitted of murder doesn't mean that they will be acquitted in a civil trial. Uh, the family of Brown and Ron Goldman filed a civil action against O.J. Simpson following his acquittal for murder, at which 
time he was found liable for wrongful death, based in no small part to the fact that the standard of proof is different. It's a preponderance of the evidence in a civil trial, whereas it is proof beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal trial. Also in a civil trial, a defendant can be called to testify, whereas in a criminal trial, the defendant need not testify. But the reason why I think these events are most appropriate for blurred laws in life is because despite the videos that we have seen in both cases, and videos have emerged showing him being shot in a gruesome manner in the back multiple times, it's hard to watch. It seems entirely indefensible, just like the George Floyd murder when watching that video appears indefensible. There will be defenses. And as hard as it may seem to accept, it has to be accepted that every defendant, no matter the crime, has the right to a fair and impartial trial and a fair and impartial jury to decide their fate. In the George Floyd case, we have heard now from the lawyer retained by the police officer who was actually kneeling on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes in which he has expressed what his defense is going to be. And the defense is going to be that there exists another video prior to the video showing him kneeling on George Floyd's neck that shows the events leading up to that moment. And in that video, George Floyd is walking. He is not under the knee of a police officer, and he is repeating that he cannot breathe. And what the lawyer is saying is that the defense will be that he died of natural causes because the toxicology report shows extreme amounts, significant amounts of opioids in his system. And he was saying that he could not breathe multiple times before he was pinned by the police officer. Now, that begs the question, why would you pin your knee on someone's neck who was repeating that he could not breathe when he was not being held in submission, which seems unconscionable on his face, but the defense is going to be that he would have died anyways due to the drug ingestion and that he could not breathe well before that occurred. I will need to hear the evidence. I will need to hear the scientific evidence. I will need to hear from the witnesses. And this will call for expert opinion, I am sure. Again, if someone is saying they cannot breathe when they are standing up straight without someone's knee on their neck, I don't know why any humane individual would then put their knee on someone's neck who already said they could not breathe. But that will be their defense. And in the Blake situation, again, I don't know of any justification for multiple police officers shooting an unarmed man multiple times in the back. But if you watch the entire video, that was a rather raucous situation. 
There are people heard screaming well before that occurred. There were multiple people obviously agitated in that area. The police were there because of a call of domestic violence. Um, I don't know what Blake's involvement with that was, if he had any whatsoever. Again, I don't know what the justification would be for shooting a man seven times in the back and when there were multiple police officers that conceivably should have been able to subdue him without having to do that, especially when one considers that Mr. Blake's three small children were in the car. But I assume that one of the defenses will be that the police officers believed that he was ignoring their commands and was going into the car and they feared that he might be reaching for a gun or some other type of lethal weapon and they were defending themselves. It does sound rather weak to me, um, given the number of police officers that were there um, and the alternatives to shooting him in the back, but I believe that will most likely be their defense. So why do I raise these issues? I raise these issues because, as I mentioned, everyone is entitled to a defense and to a fair and impartial trial. And my concern is, on blurred laws in life, that there cannot be a fair and impartial trial in these cases. The public sentiment is so extreme. There will be so many people outside of that courthouse demanding what in their mind would be justice and the pressure on the jurors and others to conform to the mentality of the public will be extreme. The facts and the law may not matter, but that is the situation we find ourselves in now. We find ourselves where because of the history of racial oppression and the history of police brutality, sometimes the facts may not matter. The actual facts may not matter. The videos are so powerful, standing alone, that the public has made up their mind. The defense that the lawyer for the police officer has come up with may or may not be credible. And I don't think it's credible. I don't think it's good defense. But the question becomes, is it possible to even have a fair trial with a public sentiment running wild, with a bloodthirsty crowd on the courthouse steps, most likely, will it be possible to even have a fair and impartial trial? Sometimes things are black and white in the law. Most times they're gray. And everyone is entitled to a fair trial. But I don't see how given the current climate, it's possible. There obviously has to be police reform. There obviously has to be a different approach to law enforcement in this country. We cannot have people being shot in the back. We cannot have people dying from a police officer's knee on their neck for eight and a half minutes while they say they cannot breathe. So let me make that clear. I'm not suggesting that these officers are innocent, but what I am suggesting is that everyone is entitled to a fair trial, and I'm not sure that's possible at this time.
big legal issue in the news this week was the filing of a federal lawsuit by TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance, against Donald Trump in his official capacity as President of the United States and Wilbur Ross in his official capacity as Secretary of Commerce and the U.S. Department of Commerce. And in the lawsuit, ByteDance and TikTok asked the court to declare as unconstitutional an executive order by President Trump that demanded that ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, sell TikTok to a U.S. company for operations in the United States and that a portion of the sale be deposited with the U.S. Treasury or, if they did not, by September 15th, TikTok would not be allowed to do business any longer in the United States of America. Now, the basis for the challenge to the executive order of President Trump is that such a declaration is unconstitutional as a violation of due process of law and as exceeding the scope of the executive powers bestowed upon the President of the United States. Specifically, in order for the President of the United States to be able to issue an executive order banning a company from operating in the United States, as alleged in the complaint, the defendant must pose a, quote, unusual and extraordinary threat to the United States, and that right is granted the president through what is called the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Past presidents have used this power to protect the country from threats from abroad, including terrorism and the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. It has never been applied to a site, a platform that allows people to dance in a cute fashion to music uploaded or made available. TikTok, I do not believe, would constitute a weapon of mass destruction, even though some people might not be so amused by it. I don't believe that it could be considered a nuclear weapon. So the lawsuit claims that the statute under which President Trump issued the executive order limits the right to issue such orders to personal communications or the transmission of international materials. The lawyers for TikTok take on President Trump's supposed reasoning for issuance of the executive order that the TikTok application could be manipulated by the Chinese government, but they go through a laundry list of facts that show that TikTok has gone out of its way to ensure that the data of U.S. citizens are not available to or made available to the Chinese government, and that significant software barriers are, have been enacted. 
with respect to the claim that President Trump's order violates the due process clause of the U.S. Constitution, which requires hearings and the right to be heard before action is taken. The TikTok plaintiffs note that no account of the national security review process involving the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States took place prior to the issuance of the executive order, and that was required before any exercise of the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. So to summarize, the reasons that TikTok has alleged the executive order violates, or is unlawful, I should say, are as follows. The lack of opportunity or notice to be heard, which is a violation of the due process provisions of the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The fact that the order is not based on a bona fide national emergency and authorizes the prohibition of activities that have not been found to pose, quote, an unusual and extraordinary threat, such as the dissemination of materials of mass destruction. The fact that the prohibitions sweep broadly to prohibit any dis transactions with ByteDance, the parent of TikTok, although the purported threat is simply limited to TikTok, just one of ByteDance's businesses. Also, it lacks, according to the plaintiff, any intelligible principle to guide or restrain the president's action and thereby violates what is called the non-delegation doctrine as the president's overbroad and unjustified claim of authority in this matter confirms, they say. And then finally, they say that by demanding that plaintiffs make a payment to the U.S. Treasury as a condition for the sale of TikTok, the president has taken plaintiff's property without compensation in violation of what is called the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. They also allege that by preventing TikTok from operating in the United States, the executive order violates TikTok's First Amendment rights in its code and expressive means of communication. So there are multiple bases under which TikTok has moved to have the court declare illegal and unconstitutional President Trump's executive order. It sounds to me like many of those reasons have significant merit, particularly the exercise of authority outside the parameters of the intended use of the statute to ban this type of platform in which millions of Americans dance in a somewhat cute fashion to music seems to me to be an improper use of a statute designed to prevent the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. In making their case, the plaintiff goes out of its way to discuss the history of TikTok. They note that TikTok now has active monthly users in the United States of more than 91 million users and 100 million Americans use the TikTok application. They point out that in addition to using it for light entertainment, creativity, and humor, it also allows the discussion of more serious subjects, such as posts about the death of George Floyd, 
LGBTQ awareness, tributes to healthcare workers, and many more. TikTok users have also claimed that they use TikTok to coordinate mass ticket reservations for the president's re-election campaign rally in Tulsa, which inflated projected attendance in the days leading up to the event and led to, as a result, less people actually showing up to the event. The implication is that President Trump is doing this out of spite. They say that TikTok is an economic lifeline for many of its users, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, giving rise to new, non-traditional social media celebrities, many of them working-class folks in villages far from cosmopolitan megacities, and has become a livelihood for some people, providing fame, empowerment, and even a path out of poverty. So in addition to the legal arguments being made, the case is being made that this order will significantly affect the income and revenue and economic standing of millions of American citizens. The bottom line is, and the overall theme when you read this massive complaint, is that the president's order was not based on a bona fide national security concern, but rather an attempt to retaliate against China, perhaps, for COVID-19, or to pander to the president's base, or to otherwise distract from other events that are occurring in the United States. In other words, that this is a politically motivated order that is outside the scope of the president's power and a misuse of the statute on which it is supposedly based. It'll be very interesting to see what will happen. This type of case, which will most likely end up in the United States Supreme Court, will ultimately be a perfect example of blurred laws in life and the power of the president, the important ability of the president to nominate Supreme Court justices. Whatever happens in the district court, if this order is enjoined, it will most definitely then be appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in California is well known as a very liberal, left-leaning court with mostly liberal judges. In fact, we saw this play out in the last couple of years with the immigration cases and the prohibition of immigration from certain countries that President Trump enacted, which was struck down by a district court in California and then by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, only to be reversed by the United States Supreme Court. It seems like that situation may very well be repeating itself here. Because no matter what the Ninth Circuit does, no matter what the district court does, this case will inevitably make its way to the United States Supreme Court, where President Trump has now, over the last four years, appointed several conservative judges, making the conservative judges the majority of the justices on the United States Supreme Court. It will be interesting to see how their analysis and how they come down on this 
executive order differs from the district court and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I am betting it does. At least some judges will certainly file different opinions than others, which will be a prime example of how things in the law are not black and white. They are often gray. And that is why we have Blurred Laws and Life. So I bet you thought that the discussion of the TikTok lawsuit was the conclusion of episode 22. Not so fast. One of the best things about doing this podcast are the messages that I receive from the listeners of Blurred Laws and Life. And furthermore, since the time that I recorded episode number 22, what you just heard, Several additional things have happened. So here we go with a bonus round of episode 22 of Blurred Laws in Life. In last week's episode with Matt Goss, we discussed the song that Matt and I co-wrote. If you remember correctly, Matt explained that I was at his house in Los Angeles feeling a bit down, wanting a good laugh. So I asked him if he would be able to create the most beautiful love song, the most beautiful ballad, if I provided him with the most disgusting lyrics one could imagine. I basically asked him to create the music, the melody, to a beautiful ballad sung with the most disgusting lyrics one could imagine. And I came up with them. Since the time we told that story, I have been literally bombarded with requests that I disclose the lyrics that I provided to Matt, that I wrote, that resulted in me owning 100% of that song. Unfortunately, while I love the listeners of Blurred Laws in Life, Matt would never forgive me if... I disclosed those lyrics. I would not even forgive myself (laughs) either. But just know that they are disgusting. There are four words, just four words, that make up the lyrics. And the world will have to go on never knowing what those words were. But trust me, it was a beautiful song sung to disgusting lyrics. We had the video. We played it to several of our friends. They were hysterical. We were crying with laughter. And it was a very, very nice moment for Matt and myself. Also, as you all know, we have been debating in the last several episodes the lyrics versus melody debate. And again, I have received many, many direct messages taking one side or the other. One of the best, most succinct messages I received came from a listener who simply wrote to me, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, exclamation mark, enough said. 
I assume the point was that that word, that that lyric, that single word created one of the most memorable songs in Disney movie history. I liked that message, so I thought I would pass it on for whatever it's worth. Since the time that I recorded the discussion of the TikTok lawsuit, literally just this afternoon, news broke that TikTok's parent does plan this week to sell the TikTok platform in the United States to a combination of Microsoft and Walmart. So we may never get a decision on the constitutionality of President Trump's executive order, unfortunately, and we will not be able to enjoy, most likely, the drama surrounding the rulings of the District Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and ultimately the United States Supreme Court, which for those of us who enjoy those types of things is too bad. And finally, as things continue to develop, there was a real issue, as I mentioned, about whether the NBA playoffs would or would not continue, uh, given the shooting of Mr. Blake. And today we learned that it looks like the NBA does intend to continue the playoffs as soon as this Friday. With all that said, a very eventful week in this country and in the world of blurred laws in life. I hope you've enjoyed episode number 22 and look forward to speaking to you next week. 